Good morning, and I want to welcome each of you uh, back to Endeavor Hill uh, on this Saturday morning. Um, it's so good to worship together, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, this week uh, I want us to uh, continue our journey through Romans. Uh, this week we're in our third installment, and uh, it is time to rethink the law. Uh, I know some hairs have already gone on edge there, but it's time to rethink the law because you have to keep the law in an appropriate uh, spot, and we're going to look at that today. Romans is a book that's of the utmost important, uh, most importance uh, in our lives as Christians. Uh, the Gospels are the center of, of Jesus' life. Uh, but then you come to Romans, and that teaches us uh, what that looks like to believe in that and what it means in the deep theology of what Jesus did. Uh, Paul is great at taking Jesus' life and then expounding on it. To, and Romans today fits us because we're in a Greco-Roman society. And uh, as Solomon says, the... There's nothing new under the sun. Oftentimes we look at antiquity and Bible times and think, oh, they never faced the same issues, but they, they really did. But today we're going to focus on it's time to rethink the law. Our anchor verse for today is Romans 3, 22 through 26. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. You know, previously we've talked about righteousness by faith. And uh, we've looked at some of the aspects of that. We've looked at why Romans is important and the backstory there uh, for us as Protestants. We've looked at what sin is to us, and today uh, we're going to look at the law. But isn't that beautiful? I want to reread our anchor text, Romans 3, 22-26, and I'm hoping you're looking it up and highlighting it. We are made right with God. See, with, without Jesus, we are all endowed with sin. That's original sin. From once Adam and Eve uh, fell to the deception of sin, is it's passed down no matter how good or great you are, you are still a sinner. And we need to be made right with God. And here Paul says, We are made right with God by placing our faith, nothing else, our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I want to repeat that. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I feel like we all need to write that on a sticky note. And the next time we start judging someone, we need to look at that. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. I should get some hallelujahs and amens on that one. Last week we looked at what is sin for you and I and how does sin uh, relate to myself and others. Paul lists 27 sins uh, in one, uh, chapter 1 and 2, ranging from sexual sins to disobeying parents and gossiping, and they're all clumped together. Sin is a complete and utter separation from God. What is sin? A complete and utter separation from God. It is in our DNA. I can't stress this enough. It is in our DNA. It is, it, we as Protestants believe uh, in the doctrine of original sin. No matter how righteous, how law-abiding, how holy we might feel, we will always be sinful sinners. I know, I just ruined some of your guys' parades. We don't have to be murderers to be guilty of sin. We are all in need of being saved. 
Sin does not separate us based on being moral or immoral people. Moral people crucified Jesus. We will see today that sin is always there. The Bible is clear on sin, yet our job is not to transform others. God brings people to repentance and transformation through, as was seen last week, through tolerance, kindness, and patience. Our job as Christ followers, as disciples growing in Christ's likeness, is to love people. No matter who walks through these doors of Endeavor Hill Church or in the future, who asks us for money personally or as a church, who sits at our tables in our homes, who may live differently than we agree with, those people that scream and shout obscenities, our job is to always love and live as Jesus did. If we aren't careful, we will end up kicking those people out with Jesus. Today we are going to look uh, at the law and how it relates to us. I'm sure that today's sermon is going to ruffle some of our feathers, push some buttons, and is going to make us hopefully think. The law. First, we need to understand that the Old Testament Israel was known as a sacrificial cult. There's no getting around it. That is the official theological uh, uh, way of describing it, is it was a sacrificial cult. They had a list of specific laws that they were supposed to keep in their lives. The core of these were given to Moses at Mount Sinai, known as the Decalogue, or Ten Commandments, as we like to call it today in Exodus 20. Deca, meaning ten, log, meaning laws. Israelites had to follow these laws in order to be saved. This is a very simplistic explanation, I know, but you need to wrap your mind around it, that in order to be saved, they had to perform these works. They had certain feasts they had to keep. They had days and times they were to sacrifice animals outlined in the law to exact specifications. The Mosaic Law was a contract between God and Israelite, also known to us as a covenant. <clears throat> If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor or hate you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you will be my people. This is the Old Covenant found in Leviticus 26.31. That's why we call it the Old Testament. If Israel followed the rules, sacrificed, and asked for forgiveness, they would be God's people and God would bless them. It is a very extremely based works-based system. But the, the grace that you see of the gospel peeking through is that anyone could become a child of God if they went through circumcision and, and mikvah, the baptism, and observed the laws and everything else. There were many people that went through this process. We are often too quick to then forget that there are two very different covenants, contracts, that God has made with His people, not just the Israelites. As I just mentioned, the Old Covenant found in the Mosaic Laws was based on sacrifices and rules. It was works-based. You had a priestly class, which is also known as sacerdotalism, is priestly class that taught and led the people and instructed them. What is the New Covenant, or new contract that God has made with us as His people? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer will each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will get, forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And this is the new covenant outlined to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The word that we see in the New Testament that is used to describe the Mosaic law is nomos, N-O-M-O-S pronounced it nomos. The word nomos is used only about 16 times in all of the Gospels, and it is always used in reference to the Old Testament law. Excuse me. Matthew 5, 17 through 18 is a perfect example. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, the nomos, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. This is the most likely to be known passage when we see the encounter of nomos law. Jesus is confronted by the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus says he isn't doing away with the nomos, the law. He is fulfilling it. He is accomplishing its purpose. This is where so many people get stuck. Human nature takes over. Our deep desire to be able to save ourselves, to work ourselves into favor, to be able to have some part in our ability to set ourselves apart from others. The religious leaders were worried because the nomos was the old covenant, their way to righteousness. They had to keep the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and all the other rules. Their way to righteousness was through the nomos, the law. Jesus comes and says, no, I'm not doing away with the law. I am coming to fulfill the law, to accomplish what it pointed to, me, a Messiah, someone to redeem you from the works-based law and sacrificial cult that you've been living under, to save you from sin. Now, many people will attempt to say that the nomos is broken up into three parts, the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, the civil law, which is how things should be run and sanitation laws, and then the ceremonial law, all the laws dealing with feasts and sacrifices. But Jesus, the Jewish people, and the early church would not have seen it this way or used this thought process. Paul in Romans is addressing the nomos, the law. They saw it as one intact package. Then there's a next word. So the first word was what? Nomos. The next word is entole. It means commandments, orders, injunctions. This word is used approximately 15 times in the Gospels and used predominantly by Jesus. At surface level, we read the Gospels in the modern English and we see no difference between the words law and commandments. We then miss out on the linguistic picture that the authors of the New Testament are trying to paint for us. We miss out on the intended meaning of the verses. Knowing how the people understood and thought is key to understanding the Bible for us today. John is one that is very intentional about his use of the word nomos and his use of the word entole. John sees Christ as God, as the creator and the giver of eternal life. He also sees Christ as judge, king, and ruler. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. John 1.17 John sees Jesus as the one who shows grace and gives meaning to the law and life. John reaffirms in the story of the rich young ruler that the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, are orders to be followed. Not following them is sin. Paul in Romans 1 and 2 shows that he still agrees that not following the commandments is sin. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15 is a verse so often quoted, especially by legalistic people and legalistic churches. At surface level, uh, what does it look like Jesus is pointing back to? The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. The rules and ordinances set up in the Old Testament. The rules of the Old Covenant. Jesus isn't pointing us back to the Old Testament. He is quite literally pointing us to His teachings as God, His ordinances, His life, and His orders. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, gives commands, and He also demonstrates how we are to live through how He lived. We know that because Matthew 28, 30 says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is Jesus. There are 139 commandments of Jesus in the Gospels that we are going to look at briefly. Now, I know most of you are going to laugh and say, how can we briefly look at 139 commandments? But it's important to, to understand that this is what Jesus is pointing to and the authors of the Gospels. Jesus uh, points out, and, and I've summarized these after, and I, I encourage you to sit down through the Gospels and, and pinpoint the teachings and commands of Jesus. <clears throat> First off, we have uh, poor in spirit. A person should mourn. They should be meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are pure in heart, peacemakers, not peacekeepers. They are reviled and persecuted for Jesus. They are to be salt that their communities and people uh, surrounding them are flavored with. God works with purpose to glorify uh, good works, with purpose to glorify God, not to save themselves. See, there's the key. Righteousness surpasses the Pharisees' righteousness. Reconcile with those who anger them. Works out their marriage as best as they can, not according to what they want and what they feel, but what's good for the other person and, and what's, what God has called us to. Yes means yes and no means no. Turns the other cheek. Gives more than is required of all things. Trusting in God to provide for them. Gives to the one who asks without hesitation. Lends to the one who needs to borrow without expecting anything back. They love and with agape their neighbors. They agape their enemies. They love without boundaries. Praise actively for enemies. They pray in complete surrender to God's will. They acknowledge God's holiness. They forgive infinitely. They fast quietly. They serve God, not money. They trust God to provide all that they need. They are extremely cautious in judging. <clears throat> they ask freely of God. They act towards others how they would want to be treated. They bear good fruit. They, they produce good fruit. God knows our name because we've worked for Christ. We do the works, uh, we do the words of Christ uh, because Jesus is a solid foundation, has faith in authority of Jesus, and this is sometimes uncomfortable for us because of some televised evangelists, but we do the, uh, we rely on Jesus' authority and we heal. We act in faith, trusting Jesus is who he says he is. We follow Jesus at 
the cost of everything. We do not fear the storm. We trust Jesus. We trust the authority against the supernatural. Jesus forgives our sin. God desires mercy, not sacrifice mindset and lifestyle. God calls sinners to serve no matter their choices. Jesus is the author of life. We have to recognize this. We believe God can heal. Not always, but we have to be surrendered to His will. But we believe that God can heal. We pray for people to spread the gospel. We spread the gospel. We demonstrate power over unclean spirits to heal disease and afflictions. Excuse me. We proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We serve without receiving pay or expecting it. Not anxious for what to speak when people uh, persecute us or we're presented in front of people. And we trust that God will provide for us. We endure. We shake off not being accepted and move on knowing that God moves on with us. We do not fear religious leaders. We proclaim the light. We proclaim Jesus from the rooftops. We acknowledge Jesus outwardly. We love Jesus more than our family. We take the cross and follow Jesus daily. We come to Jesus continually. We accept Jesus' burden and yoke. We do good on the Sabbath. We gather um, people with Jesus. We do not speak against or in the place of the Holy Spirit. Out of good treasure brings forth good, meaning out of our goodness we bring forth good. Uh, we give account for our words. By our words, we are justified for Jesus saving us, meaning the internal and external. Some of these you really have to dive into. We are a brother or sister of Christ. We are good soil. We hear and understand Jesus' words. We know the secrets of heaven. We see Jesus. We are a wheat and not a tare. We plant mustard seeds in gardens in order to grow. We leaven all the flour that we have. We are good seed. We shine like the sun. We sell all we have to purchase the kingdom of heaven, the hope in Jesus that we have found. We don't break Jesus' commandments for the sake of tradition. That's a tough one. Our heart is close to God. We worship the truth and we teach commands of God. Heart is not defiled. Out of the heart comes good thoughts, saving our lives, faithfulness, and churning us from our sexual addictions, our buying and true witnessing and our speaking in love. And we produce sexual morality. That's, that's one that Jesus does address. We have great faith. We are leery or cautious of Pharisees and Sadducees mentality, leavening our churches and our church body. We deny ourselves, not in a self-deprecation or a martyr, self-martyrdom, but we look at others as more important than ourselves. We humble ourselves like a child. We become like a child in our faith. We guard against uh, causing uh, the young ones to sin. We remove temptation. We do not despise youth. We go after the lost sheep at the expense of the found sheep. We tell our brothers their faults. Not pointing out judgment, but we point out uh, struggles and hold each other accountable. We take one or two others if we do not correct. We tell it to the church if they do not correct. There's a scary one. We do not associate if they do not correct their ways. We bind on earth so that way it is bound in heaven. We loose on earth because it is loosed in heaven. We gather to worship where two or three or more. We forgive despite the debt. We are bet it is better not to marry if we can help it. We let the children come to Jesus. 
We use all our wealth to achieve the advancement of the kingdom of God. We earn the same wage as other believers. We are servant of all, does not lord authority or position over people, goes and works for the Father. The, um, we accept who the Father sends. We produce fruits for the kingdom of God. We listen for the servants of God who are sent to attend king's feast. We render to Caesar or the government what is the government's and to God what is God's. We love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We practice what we preach about God. We remove burdens. God uh, goes out. We go out and pursue both God, uh, good and bad people to attend. Not called teacher, all our brothers regardless of position. One father, not called instructors, humble ourselves, opens the kingdom of heaven to people, enters the kingdom of heaven ourselves. We allow others to peop of, uh, other people to go into the kingdom of heaven. We do not neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Tithing and money are a low priority. There are more important things. We fight the camels and we don't care about the gnats. We freely give financially. We ha our house is not desolate. No one leads astray to follow pharisaical ideology. We are hated. We have warm love agape. We see and observe the warnings of Christ. We are ready for the Son of Man, or Christ, to return. If the servant doing the things of Jesus, when Jesus comes, we take extra oil for others' light to shine, for our light to shine, to provide to others. We use talents and gifts to grow kingdom of heaven until God comes. We are a sheep who feeds, visits, and clothes others. We diligently are praying. We observe the Lord's Supper, how Jesus intended and instituted. We publicly acknowledge Christ at the cost of reputation and keeping the law. We go and teach all nations, discipling them and baptizing them and teaching them to keep the commandments of Jesus. Now some of these might, you might be wondering, okay, 139 commandments, those don't feel like thou shalt, thou shalt. But a commandment, and it says teaching here, is if we love Jesus, we're going to follow these things. Jesus didn't just pour these out as a suggestion or a philosophical ideology as we often look at. I want you to look at these commands uh, given by Jesus. Do they give you a picture of the early believers? They do. Of the apostles and disciples. Jesus is saying here to us, if you love me, you are going to live according to these commandments of mine, how I lived and how I taught you to live. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in Jesus' sight. For we hold that one is justified, able to be saved by faith apart from the works of the law. I want to repeat that. We're going to be repeating a lot of verses. This is where the theology of justification comes in. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in Jesus' sight. For we hold that one is justified, able to be saved, that's what justification means, by faith apart from the works of the law. There's no ifs, ands, or buts around that. There's no but ums individuals. We are able to be saved because we believe in Jesus. Full stop. We are made righteous because we believe in Jesus. Full stop. Nothing more, nothing less. I want you to understand this. I want you to know this. I want you to live this. I want you to preach this. I want you to scream this because the world needs to know this. The church needs to know this. To the Old Testament people, they were able to be saved because they followed the law of God, thus demonstrating their faith in God. To the Old Testament people, they were found righteous by following the law of God. See, Jesus comes and embraces the law. He consumes the law. He f means he accomplishes it. That's 
what he means. The law becomes a part of him. He says it isn't going away, but it is being fulfilled. It is being accomplished. We as humans keep trying to move Jesus out of the way to get at the Old Testament law. Why? Because it's easier for us. It satisfies our broken selfishness to handle our own salvation. It gives us standards to judge others and condemn others. And this is what Paul is dealing with. The core of Romans, and we need to hear this today. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace Excuse me, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, but pastor, you are preaching something so horrible. You are doing away with the Ten Commandments. This isn't biblical. I want to scream and shout, no. What I am saying, what Paul is saying, and we struggle and fight with, what Peter is saying, and we, we will argue with, and the other apostles write, is that we have to keep our eyes squarely on Jesus. We live how he lived, we believe how, what he believed, and we do what he commands. And we will be keeping the law through that. The irony is that many people, we say, will then you do away with the Sabbath. The very fact that we are gathering here today on Saturday as a church, as Endeavor Hill, says that we hold Saturday and see the biblical Sabbath principle as important. It isn't because of the law and it having a bearing on our salvation that we gather together here today. Because even the Old Testament priests broke the Sabbath through working on the Sabbath. Paul says that it could never be the case. We gather here and rest on Saturday, on Sabbath, because Jesus kept the Sabbath. Even in the tomb, he honored it after his crucifixion. The early believers kept the Saturday a Sabbath. It all goes back to the why. I challenge you, read the Ten Commandments and let that be your standard for living. Read your Bibles, talk about Jesus, and study, but focus on the law. You will notice that you will become judgmental. You become works-focused. Failures bothers you all around you. You will notice that you become uncomfortable around other people. You will become self-righteous and isolated. People will not want to be around you unless they think the same way. Your relationships, though, will be shallow and insecure. You can do this. It's totally your choice. And many people often do because they find security in it. Or you can focus on Jesus as we choose to focus here. And I choose to focus and my family chooses to focus on. We study Him. We compare what He taught and lived with the Old Testament. God does require obedience. Not to the law, but to Jesus. Your life is going to be difficult. But you will realize that you feel a much deeper peace and connection with God. You will experience deeper community and relationships. You are going to be loved and loved deeper. You are going to have deep friendships and families like never before. We need to liberate ourselves from our current thought process that we have anything to do with our salvation and righteousness. People are going to hear this and do hear this and they think Paul is throwing the baby out with the bathwater or they try and be butt-ums. They just demonstrate that they do not understand Christ and His work. Jesus alone saves. Jesus alone makes us righteous. 
And Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit alone, transforms us. There's a prayer in the Protestant prayer book, The Valley of Vision, that I want to share with you. I read through this in my personal devotions, and it says here, That sanctification is the evidence of reconciliation, proving that faith has truly apprehended Christ. It means we are transformed, we are, we are made into Christ's character because we have been joined to God, as our anchor text says. We have that separation is no more. The Old Covenant People's works according to the law determined God living among them. They were a peculiar people and it was noticeable. The law made them that way. The new covenant. Christ and the Holy Spirit very literally dwell in each of us that profess and surrenders and desires reconciliation with, with Christ in our life to Jesus. When Jesus comes in, he wrecks and cleans us. He thrashes us about, some more than others. He wakes us up. He will take you on a journey. Sometimes, like me, that journey goes a long time. That journey's never over. Don't look at a person's titles or positions and think they're not on a journey. C.S. Lewis says that some of us come kicking and screaming like newborns when Christ comes into our lives. And i got to tell you, I oftentimes find myself being a newborn child in front of Christ. If Christ is really in your life, if you have surrendered, if you are seeking His face, pursuing Him, you are going to live differently. You are going to be peculiar also, but in a good way. Not because you have to, that's the law mentality, but because you can't help it. I will promise you, when you encounter the Gospels and surrender to it and God's grace and you understand, you will find a life transformed in the beauty and the simplicity and the liberation found there. You are going to find that every time that you mess up, Man, it wrecks your world, but you want, you want Christ, you want redemption. Some of us are, have more addictive personalities, and we fight those addictions our whole life. Some of us, it seems easier, and we have those hidden things, those subtle sins. But let me tell you, it's Jesus that does the work in us. Jesus has come into your life. He has reached down into your muck and mire of a broken and sinful person, and He has saved you. Over and over. Are you going to be perfect? No. No. We need to stop expecting people to be perfect also. God doesn't, and so we shouldn't. What we are called to do is not preach the law, but preach Christ. We are called to be Christ in our communities. We are called to trust Christ to do the work of transformation. We are called to tolerate, be patient, show kindness and faithfulness, and to do justice in our communities, to show mercy in order to bring about transformation and repentance. And trust me, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be unsafe sometimes. It's going to push us. But we're called to. We are found righteous because of our faith in Jesus. We are able to be saved, justification, because of our faith in Jesus. We live differently and are transformed because we have surrendered to Jesus. We live what Jesus lived. We live what Jesus taught, what he commanded. In no way am I standing up here and advocating living life however we want, doing whatever we want. That is cheap grace. That is once saved, always saved. And there are some movements even within the church popping up that promote that ideology. We cannot truly encounter Jesus being confronted, confronted and convicted by the Spirit and remain the same. 
What I am saying is that we are not called under the new covenant to look at the law and find how we should live. We are called to look at Jesus, setting our focus squarely on Him, knowing that Jesus fully embodied the law. He became the law for us. We have to look at the law, and I'm not saying don't read the Old Testament, read the Old Testament, but see the beautiful and intricate ways that it speaks of the gospel and the coming Messiah, and it points squarely at Jesus and His accomplishment. We have to look at the law with caution, because deep within us is a pride and an arrogance that tells us that if we keep the law, we will reflect Christ. If we keep the law, we trick ourselves into believing that we will find ourselves pleasing to God. Yet we need to look deeply at the fact that Israel kept the law perfectly and still murdered Christ. The author of our life and theirs. And the author of the law. If we are transformed by the law, we are transformed into self-righteous legalism. If we are transformed by Christ, we are transformed into love and grace. Luther writes in his commentary on Romans, It is a fact of... It is in fact a most dangerous arrogance of men to imagine that they have such a will that does the good and omits the evil. Man man by nature selfishly seeks only what is to his advantage. He can love only himself above all things, and that is the sum and substance of all transgression. Such self-sufficient persons seek only to please themselves and secure applause, even when they follow piety and virtue. When we follow the law, folks... We give in to our broken natures out of fear and desire to be preserved. When we follow Jesus, we follow because of our broken natures and out of a thankfulness and love. In this life, we never reach such perfection that we fully possess God. But we must continuously seek after Him. Indeed, we must seek Him evermore. As Psalms 105.4 says, Seek the Lord, seek His face evermore. Those who do not make progress in seeking God are bound to retrogress. Regress. Two words. Indeed, those who do not seek God's face will lose that which they already obtained. We must never stand still in seeking after God. Lord, we ask that you fill us with the Holy Spirit that we may be occupied with his presence. We are blinded by our sins and our self-righteousness. Send the Holy Spirit to make us see. Let Him proclaim in our eyes, let there be light. We ask that you give us faith so we can know that we are redeemed by your blood, our sinfulness covered and forgiven by your life of pure obedience. Renew us, Father. Pour out our spirit in a, pour your spirit out in us to comfort us in our sorrows, sustaining us in our trials reviving us with your blessings when we are tired and worn. Establish us to be a body of peace and joy, love and righteousness, faithfulness, justice and mercy. Kindle in us an undying devotion to Jesus. We ask that you send the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to show us our sins and convict us, revealing our helplessness and our deep need to run to you, to cling to you, to rest in you and and that Christ are the beginning and the end of our salvation. We ask that you never allow us to be lost because of our failures. We are thankful for your love, your mercy, your grace, your redemption, and your truth. Amen.